this episode, we're going to do a little 2021 in review. I've got lots of notes and comments here. I've written down, going through some things, trying to backtrack through pretty much everything we've talked about this year, one time or another, that there is a question, comment, or concern that I either miss, just recently got, or thought up myself that I thought might help you out to clarify some things. So we're going to be talking a little bit about everything we've talked about this year. If it's been on a podcast, we're probably going to talk about it right now, right here on Gray Man Hiding in Plain Sight. I had this idea about this show. I thought I was going to do it more towards the end of the year, like a 2021 in review, because people do that and then they talk about, or, you know, like TV stations put on all the clips of things that went on in the year. And I thought I'd be like 2020 in review stuff I've talked about and my forecast for 2022, even though I kind of already did that. So I was trying to figure out what to do anyway. I was going through putting stuff together and then I was like, man, that's a lot of stuff. So I won't make it too long. I'll try to keep it more respectable time length for what you're used to. Now, because so many things were almost similar and then they were sometimes just older random comments from like Facebook or notes I already had, I kind of summed them up so as to not spend a lot of time like reading a long email to answer one specific question. And I just kind of made a list and went through and looked at things and thought about them and thought, what other questions have been asked on this topic? And trying to write those down too, because if somebody has a question, I always figure somebody else probably has it too, which doesn't always mean it's true, but it's a good way to teach somebody how to appreciate the fact that that question's out there. But I kind of look at it that way too. Like if I can think it up as a reasonable question, then maybe I should address it, even though I haven't been asked. Very simple. So looking at our most recent one is the only one I'm going to address on it. So it's the only question that's even going to sound like a firearm. It's the only one at all. I'm not going to address that anymore. But I use the term a lot at distance where I said doing X, Y, and Z at distance. That's not like an official training term. It's just something I say when I teach people. It's not something really to be defined. Basically, in the podcast, I talked a lot about new shooters and their abilities. So it's whatever at distance is going to be for you. It's going to be a distance where you start running into those changes or difficulties. Generally speaking in the subject we were talking about, no matter what scenario you're in, when you're a new untrained shooter, that could be anywhere from 150 to 250 is where you're initially going to find it. And it goes longer and it depends on what you're using and all the other things that factor in and maybe not even those platforms. So anyway, at distance, just a general term I use Define that based on which distance you start to run into troubles to changes or noticeable accuracy deficiencies or things you need to work on. That's going to be the beginning of at distance for you. There was a comment made about a couple of podcasts ago. I talked about a friend of mine that was in Africa and saying that they thought maybe me sharing that information was putting them in danger. You know, why would I do that? That kind of thing wasn't putting anybody in danger. First, the general assumption is all specifics I gave you were in fact true, whether or not the person was still in that situation or not. Number two, by the time I shared that information, they were already well into what I'll call safety and completely fine, and they did return home and everything's all good. I definitely wouldn't willingly put anybody in danger, especially somebody I know, which is part of the reason why I use contacts and appropriate channels in that situation to find out exactly where different things and people are and what can be done and ways that official channel and official reports need to be made to make sure somebody knows there's an American in a location. If I'm going to go that far to try to help somebody and I know them and have known them my whole life, I'm definitely not going to say or do anything that's going to put them in any kind of danger. I definitely did not do that. You don't have all the details and I'm somebody would know how to define that, whether it was me or not. 
not saying that to sound like a jerk, just saying I definitely, definitely wouldn't and definitely did not. Comments I got on the Julian Sage one had to do with not really taking a stand or a position. I'm not required to, nor do I need to, nor do I answer to you. I do have thoughts and opinions on it. Some I think I've strongly suggested and even flat said in the past, but definitely suggested in that one. I was using that as a hot button topic, as I call it. Somebody that's recent and relevant enough people know based on situations that are controversial to both sides of the argument that actually better than talking about somebody else like um, Snowden causes a little conflict, no matter what a person's view is, to have the discussions about morals and ethics in uh, the intelligence community and how decisions are made. That's why I picked it. It wasn't to talk about him or to say why I think A, B, or C, and I'm not doing that because I know it's popular stuff, and I suppose if I did it right and I sold it right, and maybe if I did a video and had pictures, I'd get all these kinds of views, but that's not why I do the channel. So if you have something more specific you want to know, you can ask me, but really that's not the whole purpose of that show. I'm sorry if you know you click on a link and based on the title you see, you choose to interpret it a certain way. Or even if you read the description and feel like you got cheated on it, you know, let me know so I can write those better. But really the best thing you knew when you click on a title is see what the title is and at least read the description because they're usually only one or two sentences and maybe gives you an idea of what we're going to be talking about. And if you've been around long enough, you get a better idea about how I'm going to talk about things, just like with anybody, because I know a lot of people... I guarantee there are people right now listening to this probably have not even listened to 10 of my podcasts because they're new. And I don't blame them for that. I, I wouldn't probably go back and listen to them either unless I was taking a long road trip because that's I've joined podcasts all the time. I want to follow it. Some guys got hundreds of episodes, and I just start listening to the most recent ones, you know, and I only search the old ones if there's a topic I like or I'm taking a long road trip. And it's especially true if somebody's talking about current events, which we don't do here, but People that are following current events probably don't want to hear a current events discussion from six months ago. So I totally get it. But that's definitely not what that show was for. And definitely, you listen to a few of these, you get a general idea based on how I taught it and how I write it, what we're going to talk about. And I think it's pretty straightforward and fair. And if it's not, or you don't think it's accurate, or you think there's something that you misunderstood, or I could have communicated better, please tell me because I'd love to improve it for everybody. Going back a little bit farther, the last one prior to that we did was China and Taiwan, the Intel perspective. The point of that one, to answer a few questions about whether or not I took a position or thinking I'm biased, I was providing you open source information I could verify without using classified information and non-predictive assessments of the real situation of what's happening there to the best of my ability. You know, I don't know what to say other than what I guess I could say, like, trust me, if you saw raw Intel data, then you'd definitely would side with me on this but it doesn't matter if I say that or not because I couldn't verify it and it would be wrong of me to do so it was only to take something that's being talked about a lot I mean there's a lot of things being talked about a lot at some point we're always talking about China at some point we're always going to talk about Russia we're always going to talk about the Middle East there'll be something in Europe there'll be something in every continent there'll be terrorist groups or whatever but China and things involving China have been very consistent over all other topics including the wars we've been in for about 15 years and they've been growing in subjects since about 2010, 2011, so around 10 years. Topics on almost every subject seem to involve them to some degree where we're focusing on them because of an economy or because of trade or because of militaries, because of weapons development, because of space exploration. Then the China-Taiwan thing recently, I mean, it, it was equal to Afghanistan debacle discussions when Afghanistan, when we pulled out of Afghanistan, there was just as much, if not more Chinese Taiwan stuff. Anyway, 
big story, big subject. Lots of people talking about it. Got asked a lot of questions. That's why I chose to talk about it. I could literally probably do a whole podcast. It'd probably only be one a week, but if I did one a week, I could create a whole new podcast where I just did that. I could take that kind of show and do it just on an organization, a leader. I mean, I could probably do one every day for 30 minutes for a month and just talk about subjects like that in Africa and not even get halfway through it. I could totally do that, but that's not all of what I do the channel for. I do it for specific reasons. Always try to tie it into the original like idea of the gray man concept and why it's important. And also to tell some fun stories or compare stories when we talk about espionage and stuff, but it was mainly because I was asked about it, but I get asked about a lot of things I don't do shows on, but for all the reasons I described about how big and how much that subject's grown is why I chose to answer that one. As far as the skills translating to everyday life, and if you haven't caught on yet, I'm just scrolling through the list, looking at my notes, going backwards through the podcasts, and then looking at my notes, and I'm not going to hit every one of them, but I'll hit most of them. But anyway, yes, there are other skills, and of course there's skills that you realize you probably already had or could develop on your own. There's, there's all kinds of ways to look at it, but there are other skills Plenty I don't talk about. Also, a lot of times there's things I just don't go into that detail because of how long I try to keep the shows. I mean, I, it's like I've said before, I very easily could do whatever I want and follow follow the general idea like I have been and what I do this podcast for, and I could do two or three hour episodes. But I don't like doing them that long. I've made that very clear. I've also, when I did YouTube as live shows, had more interactions when I kept them around an hour or so, maybe a little less which is what I try to keep this for. Also, I've mentioned just the pure editing time, even though it's audio only, because I edit out all the little minor mistakes as best I can and breathing, unless I'm really busy, I really try to get it. Once I cross about 30 minutes of audio, 40 minutes of audio becomes significantly or exponentially longer of a process. So I try to keep it fun for me too. So I would rather, I'm not gonna do this, but let's say, I was like David at DMR Publications and based on how I built my show and all the subjects I talk about, I knew I could do a two to three hour show like he does that his fans love. But we crossed that over the idea. I don't want to do two or three hour shows. If I could do that, but didn't want to do two or three hour shows, I'd probably just do like four or five shows in a week. Don't look forward to that happening. I'm just saying that's how I would do it if that was the case. Now to generally cover a lot of them, which mostly had to do with detecting deception, deceptive behavior, any of the subjects like that, even if it was titled body language or building rapport or something along those lines, but I talked about things that sounded like or directly were statements about deception. Best thing is to write me a list of questions, as many of you as you want. You can, you know, send me the audio question or you can send me the the email. But as you're listening to these, if you're a person who gets a lot of questions and you keep that notepad around, or maybe one day you just sit down and scroll through these episodes and see if you remember the questions you had. Just send me a list of questions. You don't even, I mean, if you want to write me a nice email, that's great. If you want to tell me you love the show, that's great too. I won't dismiss it. And I'll definitely, I'll definitely share that with people. But if you just like, Hey, I just down and dirty, got a list of questions. Here they are. Write them to the best of your ability and give me all the questions you want. Cause I get a lot of questions and the more I get that are the same, the more I kind of want to answer them or realize if I need to like focus more on them. I'm saying that because there's been a lot of general things pointing at ones about deception and body language. So I want to give everybody opportunity now, especially with new listeners. If you're into those subjects and have liked them, definitely if you know you're not a person who's on a podcast, going to go back without a road trip to listen to all, you know, 170 episodes or I don't think I have that many, however many I got. Um, what do I, well, I think I have like 130 or something. But you can scroll through there and you can see the titles. It's like um, I've received 
Twitter and Facebook comments and replies about people liking identifying deceptive behavior, especially body language, there's other ones. So you can scroll through theirs and, you know, listen to two or three that are similar and then write me a list of questions and I'll do more of those. Yes, I did get questions on my trailer. I talk about my trailer and my plans a bit more on the Intel training page, which is in the show notes for those who want to join. I do want to say hello to all of you that have joined that recently. There's been a ton of people join that looking for more of the free stuff that I'm putting up there. And I'm trying to get back into putting more stuff up there because everybody knows as a reminder, I'm moving right now, packing up. So sitting down, planning things out, making sure I can schedule posts every day on Twitter and post every day on MeWe and post every day on Facebook and post every day on Intel training page. And then these podcasts, not to mention the separate podcasts that I do on the Intel training page. And then God willing, hopefully have the ability to do training videos. That's been scaled back dramatically. And I'm sure if you follow any of those, you have realized that which I said will start ramping back up after the new year because, hey, we're not even 60 days out from the new year. I'm doing all this to get out of here in a few weeks and then spending holidays with my family and all the stuff I have to do to get ready for my long trip of training and traveling, which is where it'll definitely pick back up a lot. So hang in there. That being said, I think I, well, I know I said on the NL training page, I probably didn't hear, but you can find this wherever you're at in the world. I'm um, just to tell you what the trailer is so you can look it up on your own. It's a conqueror, as in Conan the Conqueror, Genghis Khan was a conqueror. Uv EV, as in Uniform Echo Victor, also as they call it, Urban Escape Veal, hyphen 490, UEV 490 from Conqueror. That's what I bought. The Platinum one, which is just the color. I think technically it's considered a different model, but I'll just tell you now when you find that, you'll find websites in New Zealand, South Africa, United States, Canada, Australia, at a minimum. All showing the UEV 490 and it'll give you specs and tell you all the stuff that comes with it. Just something I learned that apparently I've definitely helped conquer out with is that when you read that and see all the stuff it comes with, you need to know up front. Not everything it's saying has come up for up is accurate for America. Not all that stuff imports to America and Canada. Some of it's specific only to South America, New Zealand, Australia. There's several things that it doesn't say it comes with it. It definitely does. So unless you're in the market to buy one, you can send me an email and get you that info. On a side note, after talking to them, though, one of the things they've offered to do is promote me and this podcast if I help them out because I had long conversations with the distributor for the United States where all of those vehicles come for those Conqueror brand. And they've asked me because I am traveling for a year, living in it for a year at a minimum. and Everybody else, you know, just goes occasional camping. If I was interested in making videos or recordings, or taking photos of changes, updates, upgrades, things I do and don't like. And I told them I was kind of considering that anyway. And they're like, send that to us. We'll work it out. This will help us out. It can give us some good stuff for the website. And then in exchange, we'll promote you because we're a worldwide company. Now, granted, that doesn't mean this distributor is actually going to get conquered or agree to that, especially in other nations. But enough people are looking into them and buying here that's helpful for both of us. So that might be happening. We'll see. That's way down the road. And, of course, I mentioned all that because, you know, I talked about the Gray Man Adventure one, as you guys saw. I got a lot of feedback in September on National Preparedness Month when I made the recording about what not to do. And one of the things I want to point out is I probably should have just made a list of all the things people said, although I think I think so many of them seemed obvious to me. I disregarded the the fact that they may not be obvious to everybody, which many of you have been around a long time. know I've said that before is, hey, watch out for this when you're teaching. And I'm, I'm sorry about that. But. It still came down to a lot of it came down to the basic idea of just don't tell anybody. It's none of their business. 
no matter what it is and finding ways to get past what's uncomfortable and awkward and just being like, none of your business. And believe me, I got to do it too. I got family members. I got to do it too. I do want to say hi again to all the private investigators that's come over and uh, feedback we got from our surveillance patterns of life interview I did with PI magazine. Jim actually asked me or told me that if I wanted to do a write up on my training and travel trip and discuss the training I'll be doing or something that's available, he would put in his magazine. I haven't sat down and done that yet in order to explain to him why I don't think I explained to him why I may not even respond to the email, which is probably not good, but I wasn't sure exactly what to say, uh, you know, and I don't know what episode or what, what version it's or release date it's going in, which it doesn't really matter that much, but I don't know. I guess I felt like it was eating up space unnecessarily, but I probably should do that. But I do appreciate Jim for giving me that opportunity. I got to tell you what, we got three specific podcasts that kind of blew up um, compared to everything else. Like I get a lot of listens and even to point that out, we reached what's our uh, viewership or whatever the number, what's the title? I can't think of the title. Anyway, a hundred thousand we reached a week or two ago. So we're getting a lot of people listening to the show, which is really great. And we're getting more feedback and questions. So that's really great. But when I did the one on threat identification, people have loved that one. I did one on how to respond to an active shooter. People love that one. And even bigger was when we talked about go backs. And I've got a lot of questions on those. But the most common one I want to answer has to do with weight. What's the correct weight, appropriate weight? I've even had long detailed descriptions of situations somebody might be in where the weight matters. Two things. Number one, your level of physical fitness, especially when it comes to carrying weight on your back, meaning you have to do some of the training for that as well, including long walks with weight on your back, does help mitigate the weight itself. Whether it makes it to where you can carry more or you can carry less longer or less doesn't or, you know, whatever weight doesn't feel that heavy anymore, just like anything else. That's a factor. Another thing I want to point out, though, is there's a thing called ultralight. You can look that up. Ultralight backpackers that are really proud of themselves because they carry like this small amount of weight and then they go live out of it, you know, or go hike some long trail. Some of them do it to hike like the Appalachian Trail or some of them just go for a weekend. And I'm not trying to make fun of them by saying proud of themselves. They've got good information in there and there's tons of tips and tricks. A phrase, you know, I don't like, but actually a lot of them are tips and tricks on how to lighten up the load where, you know, ounces or pounds, pounds or sweat. And you can see all this kind of nifty stuff. One of the things I want to point out, though, when you're looking at the aspect of the go bags of what you guys were asking me, what has to do with the bug out bag scenario or just a backpack of stuff that you can hike with long distance in camp for fun, like the Appalachian Trail and survive out of it coming down to weight. Now, there are people out there you can see that have these in these scenarios I'm describing lightweight bags, like under 25 pounds, right? Even, even Josh at the gray bearded green Bray did one video on them maybe a year ago, roughly where he talked about bags. And I don't know if it's in the title or in the thumbnail, but it mentions about the bag being like 19 pounds, really great video. And it's like the essential items you need. Now, like anybody, I look at that and I go, yes, I agree. Those are the essential items. It doesn't mean I would personally use the specific item he did. The one I use might be cheaper. It might cost more, but might way more, might weigh less. Those are factors. You know, what are all these items? The other thing is, though, in my opinion, when it comes to the weight of your bag, there's only, based on my experience, there's only two types of people 
that talk about the lightness of their bags. The minority of them are well-known, clearly educated experts in their field like Josh who know what the hell they're doing. And the other thing is, is part of the reason somebody like Josh could live it out of that for so long is because of what's in his brain. Training, experience, more experience and familiarity just from training other people. Like I said, one of the best schools I wanted to go to gives you a knife and says, look, school goes right. Right amount of knowledge. Anybody can take a knife out in the woods and just live. True. In most situations, probably true. If you have the knowledge, somebody like he does. The second person is somebody who thinks they have that knowledge but really don't. And we find these guys on survival shows almost dying or writing articles critiquing people in survival shows and then going out and trying to do themselves and almost dying not realizing they don't have the expertise and knowledge. So I'm not saying your bag should be light or heavy. I'm just saying it's entirely possible and realistic that your bag gets lighter based on the knowledge that you have. You know, there might be things you don't need. Once you know how to, like I said, use things properly, use them in ways they're not necessarily designed for safely, be more creative, scrounge, know how to do A, B, and C, and, you know, that's great for you. And then you can make it to where maybe you don't need certain things. Or if they break or you don't have them. Now, that being said, what's an appropriate rate? Hard to answer to because, you know, if I tell you 40 pounds is good, that's a whole lot different on a 10-year-old or an 80-year-old than it is on a healthy 28-year-old. So that's hard to say, too. It's really figuring out everything you want. I would tell you this generally. This is just my general opinion. My general opinion. Sorry about that. Stuttering, as always. My general opinion is... And this, I say general because these are loose numbers. I'm just going to throw out because I don't know you. So I'm generally applying to everybody, which may not be fair to some of you. If this bag you're carrying with items is all that you have and you're going to go live out of it long term, like say a month on the Appalachian Trail or a year in the backwoods, and that's pretty much everything's in that bag. For it to be under 25 pounds would suggest to me, you know, a lot of stuff. Not you think you know, you legit know. Like you've got lots and lots of experience and training. Not saying an experienced guy won't have more stuff, but I'm just saying they tend to be the ones that can go lighter. If you're crossing short of specialty equipment, like you're going to go live in the Himalayas, therefore you need heavier gear that's going to survive that. Short of special situations, again, in general, if you're crossing, in my opinion, that 70, 75-pound mark, you might have too much or you might have items that weigh too much or you have a lot of specialty items for fun and comfort you wouldn't normally have. Like, for example, you decide to take a portable ham radio with a backup battery and a solar panel for it, you know, and individually don't seem like that much, but you put them all together. Next thing you know, it's four pounds, you know, and then you choose to bring a handgun like a lot of guys don't, but you want two extra boxes of bullets and you don't realize that that's, you know, four more pounds. So that's another eight pounds. I'm saying things like that, that add up. So short of those or specialty situations for the environment, I think 70, 75 pounds, we're really pushing it. Once we start getting up over 60, we're looking at the types of clothes we have, the weights of them, because it's more situationally based. Maybe you need, you know, crampons or extra boots. This is where the weight starts going up. So it's, it is heavily dependent on you and what your environment is. But I think once you start crossing that mark, you either have comfort items, specialty items, or perhaps too many items. And comfort items might be you have a lot of weight in starting out with food and a lot of extra water. 
that we know is only going to last you two days because you have to find water. You know, those are kind of the exceptions. But again, no matter who you are, if you're looking at carrying generally 45 pounds-ish on your back and you're going to be doing it for more than two to four miles, you should be training with that and getting in shape and knowing how to wear a pack properly because you will hurt yourself in the long term, if not immediately. I did have some questions back when I talked about kind of what intelligence engines look for when hiring, which was a special request uh, podcast, and then on private intelligence companies and what they're looking for. Well, number one, if you want to know what a company is looking for to hire for any job, you go to the company and look at the job listing, right? If you don't know how to interpret that listing, then you talk to somebody else. But I would suggest to you, especially in something professional like this topic, if you need an interpreter, you're probably not the person who's going to get hired for those jobs because you should at least know what those terms and phrases already mean. There's other things, of course, I did say that were brought up like, yes, there's a difference between truly being a private intel company and calling yourself a private intel company. As I pointed out, some of those are not private intel companies, in my opinion, and I think most everybody in my field would agree with me. Like, I'm never going to pitch anything I do as a private intel company. Yes, if I do, in fact, get to open up a full-fledged school that covers all the areas in my big spiderweb plan menagerie of everything I'd like to do in the ideal situation, part of it does involve some intelligence training for the everyday person. I would never sell my services to higher highest bidder to gain anything like that and call it intel or would I say that it's a private intel company or that we do that. And I seriously doubt anything I'm teaching will be much desire to anybody that's not an Intel company that they will want to use unless they're looking for open source techniques, which the first thing I do is refer them to the internet anyway because there's so much free information out there. Why pay somebody? Or at least get all the free training you can and then figure out the exact list of things you want to learn so that when you can go look at companies, you can find out which ones really know what they're doing because they can teach you those things and aren't just charging you for things you could do on your own in the first place, like every other form of training. Now, I have mentioned training, of course, and the company I'm, I've started building and then the costs and what other people charge. And I've got plenty of questions on what my opinion is in fair pricing. So I'll, I'll do my best, but I'll say this. Number one, we're going to discount some things in the answer, meaning forget about some certain things. We're going to forget about travel costs, food costs, and lodging costs because for some places those are built in. So we're going to ignore that. You know, we're going to ignore RV costs, anything that has to do with anything related to travel and lodging. We're just going to focus on the training itself. So we're discounting all those other things right off the bat. I'm also not counting anything you may be required to have beforehand that may cost you money. For example, you need to go train somewhere and you need 500 rounds of ammo or you need to have a basic individual first aid kit or you need to create a complete safety class or you need to have prerequisite training. I'm not counting any of that either because those are all, I just call them add-ons that either you do don't have. So I'm discounting all that, focusing solely on, got a guy talking, teaching, coaching, mentoring, giving you some stuff for a certain amount of hours. We're not counting any equipment you have to buy because we also might have equipment provided for you in some of the situations. We're not counting any of that, just the knowledge itself assuming also that they're not providing you any materials. They're not physically giving you anything to take home. Other, you know, Maybe some paperwork printed out, but they're not handing you books to keep. We're going to make all of these assumptions to get kind of a starting point. There are factors such as weather, time of year. We're not counting that. We're looking at 
the instructor, and their information. That being said, just like getting a job and you may get paid more because you have a certain degree or certain level of education, I think it's fair that certain people probably could charge more. With the appropriate training and education, they, they can back up what they're saying. However, comma, if they're teaching the same thing as somebody we call a low-level guy and they're both teaching exactly the same, just as good, I don't think you should have to pay more just because that guy's got a cool name. That's just my opinion. That's assuming you can identify that between those two people. We probably can't do that in most situations. So here's the answer to your questions. In my opinion, shooting courses involving handguns, I haven't seen one where based on all the prerequisites I just gave you or prerequisites we got away, I haven't seen one that justifies $500 a day. Just saying. Shooting courses that aren't long distance, not quite the same answer. There are certain situations that I could see them going in that neighborhood for certain types of training. I definitely could, uh, but that'd be very rare, you know, because we're also, we're not counting things like insurance and all that. First aid medical courses. Most of the ones I've seen, they're calling emergency trauma or IFAC, really are just going over the basic items. They're the same thing. The military issued IFAC. Some of those places, $150, $175 a day. I know it costs more, but I just don't see it. I don't get it, especially for the amount of people they're training. I get making a profit, not against that. I'm just saying, I, I think that's a I think that's a $50 to $75 course. Map reading. You're going to learn how to read a military map, maybe even take the test. I don't care if it's one day or two day. I don't understand why that's not $50. I just don't, I, I don't get it. Now, just taking these few examples I've given you, we need to add things back on. Is the person required to have insurance, especially special insurances because, you know, it's weapons training or do they have lease or rental fees for a facility? Are there increased costs of facility usage they already own? You know, are there increased risks requiring our insurances because they own the land and it's not a recognized, you know, training facility for whatever you're doing. Are they providing you things to go home? Are they providing the necessarily training equipment that may get damaged over the time that needs replaced, like say maps and compasses? So all these things, then take the numbers I've given you and you add those back on. Then all of a sudden, a lot of these prices kind of make sense depending on the person is and where they are. Oh, there's plenty out there where I'm like, <laughs> no, but some of them, yes, because they have all those extra things like insurances, leases to pay, rental costs for a day, materials provided, you know, safety things that are in effect that cost money, them traveling or the fact that, yeah, you're traveling there, but they have an RV dump they have to manage and take care of because you're parking your RV there. They have to clean up after you because you use their you know, campground on their place or they have cabins. So there's all these other things that make those prices go up. That's all I'm saying. Personally, I think it should be broke down in clear detail where all the money's going. And that would tell me a lot about who I'd want to use, but then again, it'd be real easy to fudge those numbers. So if you take all those things out, some of the prices don't seem that great to me. When you add in things, depending on that individual situation, all of a sudden the prices can make sense in many situations. End of the day, though, it's a lot. I don't care where you go. Oh, and to ask one, because one guy mentioned a guy who's actually in Arizona. Do I think there's a former military person charging $3,000 a person a day for training that just, no, I don't give a shit what they're doing. They want to go charge a federal entity that that wants to pay them thousands or tens of thousands of an hour. Those things do exist, especially like the Department of Energy. That I get. Private civilian? 
Yeah, if it's some rich dude who wants to pay it, but come on, saying your stuff's better because you got a specific military background and it's $3,000 a day and a day is only four hours to do some basic stuff that's really no different than the NRA, get the fuck out of here. And yes, I can freely say it because I know who the people are and I've seen the training. So yeah, get the fuck out of here. Yes, I've seen everybody likes espionage in the news. And to, I wasn't going to address those, but it was to actually to, thought about it when I answered one question about the, with that American couple recently in the Navy, Navy dude committed espionage. So I don't know technically if he committed it yet because I don't, I don't know if they've been to trial and been convicted yet, but yeah, he did it. Um, well, I didn't talk about that one because it's in America and they're Americans. It was all over the place on the news. Granted, it very quickly got overshadowed by other things, but I was like, eh. Then recently, if you haven't seen it, you know, finally, there's a Chinese dude who got extradited to the U.S. and got convicted of industrial, essentially the equivalent of industrial espionage, was espionage for aviation, aerospace stuff. I was asked why I didn't talk about that or if I was. Well, I wasn't considering, and I'll tell you why. One, I've talked about China a lot. Two, when I've talked about China espionage, I've mentioned that it's been worldwide long-term missions. Three, I've mentioned that in the United States, they probably got more spies than anybody. Uh, other things I've mentioned, like when we talked about their embassy in Texas and all this other stuff, is about how eventually we're not just going to be kicking them out. We're going to start trying them, or we'll get people extradited to here from other countries they run to, and eventually we'll throw a few on trial, but mainly explain why we sent them back, and especially because it was China. And I went through all these steps, focusing heavily on China, and that all this was going on. And that they were changing some of their mission sets and ways they were doing things that they weren't prepared for because, like everything else, they're about a century behind, which is kind of why it helps them, actually, with espionage, but not in a lot of other places. Anyway, granted, I see it in my head, and I can realize saying it out loud now why nobody put those dots together necessarily. But to me, it was like, well, I've been saying this is what's going to happen. So what I'm going to do, go on there and say, look, I told you this was going to happen. I didn't want to do that. So I guess it just seemed boring to me. Uh, you still want me to talk about it? I can, but a lot of people seem to like the espionage news story stuff, especially when I can tie it into some of the stuff we talk about, like I did with the Marine and how the recruiting methods work. And I'm glad that you guys like those. And so I will continue to do those. If you don't like those, definitely tell me, but uh, I'm getting feedback that people like them. So I will try to continue doing those looking for ones that have a teaching point beyond just telling the story about, you know, what might be deceptive or false with it, or like I did with that Marine Actually, this is how recruiting works and A, B, and C like that and try to make it, you know, the best of both worlds. I did get notified that I didn't do much in situational awareness. That's fair because I didn't. I mean, granted, there's a lot of ways you can say I did, but realistically, I did one near the beginning of the year called situational awareness. And I'm not looking at the list right now, but off the top of my head, I think the next one I could call situational awareness was... I did the one where I talked about my mom was going to travel to Europe and what to do in the hotels. It's more security based, but it's kind of situational awareness. And then the emergencies while traveling abroad, which kind of fed into the one about scams. So you could argue I did four or five of them, but they've all been very recent and kind of played off each other. So yeah, I really didn't. But those things are situational awareness, not to defend myself, just saying, remember when I'm talking about awareness or whatever it is, it's situational awareness, but I get what the people are saying. They wanted more specifics in other areas than the stuff I was talking about. Now, while I did just start recently using the polls and questions on Spotify, you know, even with a few thousand people on there, I realized it's a low percentage of people are going to respond to that. Just like, you know, over half of you listen on Apple podcasts, which is thousands of people but a small percentage of you do reviews. I mean, the reviews help me, of course, but you can also send me emails or whatever. But I would like to hear more from people. 
about what you want to hear more. Is there something you heard you want to hear more about? Are there questions that you have? Are there subjects you think pertain along the line of the whole espionage, tradecraft, spying, surveillance, gray man stuff we've been doing that you're looking for? You know, send me any of that stuff because it helps me out. It helps me look at my list of stuff and things I do and say, well, I got three choices and this guy sent me an email that's choice number two. Looks like we're doing choice number two. That's part of the reason why I read some of the emails too. And like, I think the last one I read where it was mentioned, you know, appreciated me getting back how often, how quickly I get back and respond to people when I can and addressing their questions on a podcast. And I enjoy doing that for you. It helps me out to know what you're looking for. So anybody out there is feeling like doing that, definitely share it with me. Now that was a down and dirty. There was several other subjects we talked about, surveillance topics, a lot of cybersecurity, wireless travel security stuff we talked about. Most of the feedback and questions I got on that were addressed in following podcasts. We did a lot of stuff on Things like baselines, our conspiracy theory one, which I think was the fourth highest viewed one, how conspiracy theories worked. I did right, right in February that people enjoyed, which I don't see a need to do that again and nobody's asked me. So people are like that. A lot of body language stuff we've discussed. But again, most of those, I get the questions pretty quickly and hit them up. So it was kind of an overview and answering a few questions on a few of the mini podcasts that we did this year. And right now, it looks like we are on track. I've done 68 of them this year, so there'll probably be another 12 to 20 of them. It just depends on depends on how many I'm able to do in December, actually. But we'll at least get we'll at least get to 280. I know that for sure. Pretty sure we'll get to 280, but we might reach 300. I don't think we're going to reach 300 this year. Anyway. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I just want to do a follow-up, address some of these questions, connect some of these together, and hit a lot of different subjects at once that maybe you enjoy. Sometimes it's fun just to kind of bounce around on the different topics we hit up instead of just focusing generally on one. Maybe you don't like that. But if you do, just follow these directions. If you like this episode, don't forgive us a like, share, heart, whatever your platform is using, and make sure you let people know you think will enjoy this material. Give us a review on Apple Podcast or wherever you're at. And don't forget to check out the show notes and check out dmrpublications.com. And we will be back again shortly with more information right here on Grayman, Hiding in Plain Sight.